Well, the prophet Habakkuk was living and teaching in the final days of the kingdom of Judah. Life in the kingdom of Judah at that time was marked by injustice and idolatry and wickedness and violence and corruption. And Habakkuk could see clearly the looming threat of Babylon, the the Babylonian Empire. The people of God would soon be in exile, and the city of God, including the temple of God, would soon be destroyed. So God tells Habakkuk to record a vision. Babylon is surely coming, and it's not going to be fun. But rest assured that the Lord will hold Babylon accountable too. He will not permit injustice and idolatry and wickedness and violence and corruption to have the final word. If divine justice seems slow, just wait for it. Because divine justice will surely come. It will not delay. And the righteous, Habakkuk says, shall live by faith in this promise. Our sermon passage today quotes from Habakkuk, and this is because the book of Hebrews was written to first century Christians, Jewish Christians, who were also living in the final days of sorts. They too were facing the looming threat of a, of a powerful empire, the city of God, including the temple of God, would soon be destroyed, not by the Babylonians, but by the Romans. This was, in the words of verse 25, the day that was drawing near. In the Bible, the day of the Lord is always, 100% of the time, a a day of divine judgment. Okay? You can You can open your Bible app and search that phrase, the day of the Lord. And I'm telling you, every time you see it in the Bible, it is in reference to a day of divine judgment. Hebrews 10 is telling us that back when this was originally written, the day of divine judgment was near. The city of God, including the temple of God, would soon be destroyed. How then should we live, is the question of this passage. When the people of God are living in the midst of injustice and idolatry and wickedness and violence and corruption, when the people of God are facing the the looming threat of political upheaval, what should we be doing? That's That's a relevant question, isn't it? It was relevant It was a relevant question in the days of Habakkuk. It was a relevant question in the first century. But it's a relevant question for us too. When the people of God are living in the midst of injustice and idolatry and wickedness and violence and corruption. When the people of God are facing the looming threat of political upheaval. What should we be doing? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Quick note here. Under the old covenant, sprinkling with blood and washing with water was how priests were made. Blood and water together qualified a person to draw near to the presence of God, to the throne of God. So, by the blood of Jesus and by the waters of baptism, we too have been qualified to serve as priests in the presence of God. That's, that's what's being said here. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. These, these first seven verses in our passage today are a wonderful summary of the Christian life. They apply in times of peace and tranquility. They also apply in, in times of upheaval. Chapters 1 through 9 of Hebrews have presented us with some incredible and incredibly deep theological truths. And because these things are true, here in verse 10, we are invited to draw near to God in worship with true hearts, with full assurance, having been qualified as priests. And as we draw near... We are to hold fast, it says, the confession of our hope. We are to persevere. God has made a promise, and he is faithful to keep it. And and as we draw near, and as we hold fast, it says we are to stir one another up to love and good works. We are to encourage one another. We are to meet together. In short, the, the access that we have been granted, the access that has been described in chapters 1 through 9, the access to God that we have now been granted is the basis for Christian love and hope and faith and perseverance and good works and church attendance. These are the things we should be doing in times of upheaval. In times of upheaval, the people of God do what the people of God always do. Worship, baptize, grow in love. Encourage one another, live obedient lives, meet together regularly. Brothers and sisters, please, please hear and heed this exhortation. Neglecting Sunday worship, and and then by extension, neglecting the spiritual well-being of the other members of this community, is neglecting your own perseverance in the faith. It, It would not be loving or in your best interest for me to try to sugarcoat that. This past summer was a hot and dry summer, right? And if you neglected to water your plants, my guess is that they are not looking too good. The same is true of your soul. To be healthy and growing, your soul needs watering. 
And so for, for your sake and for the sake of your children and for the sake of the people sitting around you, sitting next to you, please be present here physically and emotionally and spiritually. And please come thirsty. Please come ready to receive whatever the Lord has for you that week, whether it's, whether it's a, a light shower or a torrential downpour. Come ready to receive. Now, at, at this point, the, the train of thought seems to take a, a pretty sharp turn, okay? But if we remember that this was written to a group of first century Jewish Christians, and if we remember that their situation was similar to the situation of Habakkuk, it all makes sense. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Listen, this does not mean, this does not mean that Christians who struggle with sin following their conversion are hopelessly condemned. It has been taught that way. But we've, we've got to remember the historical context We've got to remember the reason why the book of Hebrews was written in the first place. First century Jewish Christians were considering abandoning Jesus and returning to a pre-Jesus form of Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews is warning them, the day is drawing near. Pre-Jesus Judaism is near to being judged. The temple will soon be destroyed. Thus, if you turn back now, all you will find is judgment and fire and a sacrificial system that that cannot remove the stain of your sin. Why would you do that? It says, if abandoning Moses was worthy of judgment, how much more will abandoning Jesus be worthy of judgment? To abandon the old covenant was a serious thing, To abandon the new covenant is an even more serious thing. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Meaning, it is a fearful thing to be in His presence with no covering for sin. It's a fearful thing to be in His presence with no covering for sin. So don't leave the covering for sin. To borrow language from chapter 6, you have been enlightened. You have tasted the heavenly gift. You have shared in the Holy Spirit. You have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. To turn back now is to turn away from the grace and mercy of the one true God. The living God to whom vengeance and judgment belong. And so yeah, this is a a sober and very clear warning. And yet, as, as has been the case every time throughout this book, whenever we're presented with a warning, 
The, the warning is immediately followed by comfort and encouragement and reassurance. This time, it's an appeal to past faithfulness. Remember the early days of the church, he says. The persecution you faced back then. Remember your faithfulness and joy in the midst of that hardship. Verse 32. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." You began this race so well, but you have need of endurance. To abandon the faith now would be like dropping out in the 25th mile of a marathon. To abandon the faith now would be like coming to the border of the land of promise and then deciding you're going to go back to the land of Egypt. Don't do that. Think back to the beginning. See, see how far you've come. Remember all that you've already sacrificed, all the pain you've already endured. Keep running. The finish line is just around the corner. Don't throw away your reward. Claim it. Claim your reward. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. My righteous one shall keep running. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Again, this is a quote from Habakkuk. And the point, the, the basic point is this. Difficult days lie ahead. Rome is on the horizon. Upheaval is on the horizon. The city and the temple of God will soon be destroyed. But I am in control, says the Lord. And my righteous one shall live by faith. I know life in this world seems chaotic. I know it feels like you're living at the, at the mercy of the powers that be. But trust me. Trust I will soon vindicate you, and the righteous shall live by faith in this promise. Listen to these closing words from the book of Habakkuk. At this point, he's questioned God's plan. He's questioned God's timing. He's even questioned God's goodness. But at the very end of the book of Habakkuk, he resolves to live by faith. We read it earlier. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though politicians are unjust, 
and corruption and violence reign. Though the economy be in shambles and my bank account dwindle, though the church leave me wounded and worship is a wearisome task, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoice and take joy. You see, the the book of Hebrews has prepared for us a delicious and satisfying feast. Chapters 1 through 9 have been um, complex and complicated in certain ways. But but if you think about it, to prepare a feast is is a complex and complicated thing. And here in chapter 10, all of that work is starting to pay off. The meal is made ready and the invitation is sent. Come, come to the feast. Do not neglect this feast as is the habit of some. In one sense, the, I'm talking about a metaphorical feast, but in, in another sense, I'm talking about a literal feast because our worship always culminates at a table. In the first century, people were neglecting to attend this feast because they feared persecution, the plundering of their homes. It was easier and it was safer to just stay home, to to stay under the radar, out of the public eye. We don't have that problem today, right? We don't have to fear coming here on Sunday mornings. We don't have to fear the plundering of our homes. We don't have to fear being thrown in prison. And so we should be all the more eager to come to this feast, to rejoice and to take joy, to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage one another. And all the more as the day draws near. Meaning, All the more when life in this world seems chaotic. All the more when it feels like we're living at the mercy of the powers that be. All the more when upheaval is on the horizon. All the more when surrounded by injustice and idolatry and wickedness and violence and corruption. All the more. May our church be a place of refuge in the midst of hardship, a place of encouragement, a place where people can come and be stirred up. May our church be a place where people can grow deep roots and bear good fruit, even when the summer is hot and dry. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we are living in chaotic times to a degree. But you are nevertheless good and you are nevertheless in control and you desire to be near to us. You desire for us to draw near. Jesus, you have opened the way. You have paved the way for this nearness by your blood. So thank you. Holy Spirit, help us to to hold fast to the confession of our hope, to stir one another up to love and good works, to encourage one another. And 
As often as we meet together, Holy Spirit, please pour out your grace and mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.